You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi. Welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name is Mike Calvin. I'm joined by John Cross of the Daily Mirror and Don Fifield of The Guardian. It's time to get serious. European football is back. Can Real Madrid win the Champions League four times in a row? Should Manchester City claim the top prize? Can Liverpool go one better than last season? Well, John, should they just concentrate on the Premier League? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I do think if you ask most Liverpool fans, I wonder what they, they'd actually prefer to win, bearing in mind that, that everyone conveniently forgets that obviously they've won the Champions League more recently than the Premier League and everyone harks back to the fact that they've they've not won the Premier League in its current guise and they haven't won it since, since you know, what what is it now, 28 years. But it's it's I, I feel that uh, actually I did their game on Saturday and spoke to Andy Robertson, you know, hugely impressive player and really good talker as well by the way mm. and he was sort of saying look if we're ambitious as a club the one thing you cannot do is kind of concentrate and focus on, on one competition if you're ambitious and if you're really a big club you have to go for, for all competitions and then almost see what you end up winning I do think it's incredibly difficult not now for, for any team but I think in the sort of the March April time when you do suddenly have the games clogging up and you're sort of the demands are such that it's very difficult to juggle both. I think we saw it with Man City last season. I would argue that Man City were probably the best team in Europe. So why didn't they win the Champions League? Because they were winning the Premier League by an absolute street. And when they faced Liverpool in, that, in those two games, those two incredible games, um, I think Liverpool had something more about them because they were able to say, we're just focusing on the Champions League. So it is, it is a real talking point, but I, I still feel that if you ask Liverpool fans, I think, I might be wrong on this, but I reckon they'd prefer to, to win the Premier League. And I think they've got a great opportunity this season, not just through themselves, but maybe because Man City can't win both. I feel that they will want the, the, the Champions League, whereas Liverpool might want the... The, the, the Premier League, maybe they could do a deal, Mark. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As, as John said, Dom, it, it's down. It's probably down to squad depth in, turn, in the dog days of the season. That sort of March, April time, as you said there, John. Um, if you look at Liverpool, the midfield very well stocked. You've got Henderson and Fabinho probably on the outside looking mm. in. That front three, terrific. You've got Shakiri there. Maybe one or two problems in defence. You've got two good goalkeepers. Is that what a Champions League team needs, that depth? Well, yeah, and, and certainly if you're going to try and sustain the, the, the two-fronted challenge. Um, I mean, the, I suspect actually winning the Champions League will boil down to them getting their best 11 out on the pitch um, in the latter stages of the tournament. Um, and their best 11 is very, very good uh, and was good enough to reach the final last year. And it's much better this year um, with the additions they've made. Um, I, I think that they, that they, they, they do possess a, a depth. And I think... The way that Jurgen Klopp is is playing it at the moment by you know bringing people, easing people back in after their World Cup exertions, and people, we're not seeing much of Henderson at the moment, but I imagine we will against Paris Saint Germain. We will probably see him more in European competition in the group stage than maybe in the Premier League in the first couple of months of the season. Um, they've got they've got they've got an England right back sitting on the bench who never gets a game. Um, they've got they've got the best defender in the world, self-claimed best defender <laughs> in the world, to, still to come in at centre half. Um, 
Fabinho is desperate to get an opportunity as well. He, he could potentially operate in centre-half if needed, if, if required. I think there is, there is a, a rare depth there because, because they've done so well in recruitment in the last few years. Um, but as, as John says, it will depend on, upon availability come the spring as to whether they're able to sustain it on two fronts. Mm. It's interesting, amidst all that change, the one thing that stayed the same at Liverpool is James Milner, mm. only survivor of Klopp's first team at Spurs in October 2015, having almost a greater influence than ever before. It's just amazing. You know, I, I mean, years ago, you would have sort of cast him as a sort of a, what was a right winger in his early, early, early days. He's kind of been that always available England squad man, if you like, travelled the world before sort of calling that a day, done invaluable service for his country, in my view. And then did did a stint at left back for, for Liverpool when they were struggling, and now he's reinvented himself again. You know, not just this season, but obviously last year as well, in, in an absolute midfield kingpin. His energy and his work rate is phenomenal. He's all over the pitch. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because sometimes you look at them as I did on on Saturday, and you look to the more kind of noticeable, spectacular figures like a Van Dijk, or when Aldum's having a good spell at the at the moment, or one of the forwards, for example, Firmino. I thought played really well, and you almost forget just James Milner. You almost take him for granted because it, it's strange, but he's just so consistent every week. Every single week he's putting in a really top-draw performance. And sometimes you, you, know, you do take him for granted when actually he deserves the man of the match plaudits as, as much as anyone else. He's all over the pitch. His energy is, is incredible. You know, he does you know, live, live his life incredibly well and he's, he's maintaining and getting the best out of his career. If you ever wanted a reason why, and I don't think that you, know, you should call it quits on England too early, but if you ever wanted proof that in some cases it can have a benefit, then it is definitely James Milner because, you know, he's persevered and sort of, you know, also saved himself for Liverpool and put sort of club before country, if you like. And it, at Liverpool really reaping the benefits. Outstanding player. Mm. The front three, Don, 66 goals between them in their last 32 combined appearances. Are they capable of sweeping people away? Yeah, because that's the way Klopp plays. They have these... 10, 15 minute blitzes where they can let's blow a team apart um, and their interplay I think their interplay was actually better last season I think they're still warming up this this time round but, but they're, each, they're each integral in their own way Mane Mane had a bit of a lull at times last year but his his industry and, and, and pace and energy is, is, is key Salah's close control and, and ability to, to find space in even in cluttered penalty areas is, is remarkable and get shots away. Mm. Um, and Firmino, sort of the un, most underrated of the three perhaps, um, doesn't catch the eye so much with his, maybe his goal-scoring exploits, but he is sort of integral. He's the one that sort of knits it all together. Um, and to, to have those three and then to have Shakiri, to have Daniel Sturridge and, you know, Dom Solanke even mm. on the fringes, there's depth there as well, if need, need be. But as a unit, in their best team, those three have to play. Yeah, instantly, talking of catching the eye, I know no pun was intended. That, that instant you know, with uh, Vertonghen on Saturday, just part of the rough and tumble of the game? Well, I thought so. Um, I know a centre-half you know, who's, who's endured a, a difficult afternoon um, might be have a sort of spiteful streak to him where he, he, he thinks that he's flinging his arm, but he doesn't know what he's aiming at, I don't think. I don't think there's anything, any real... Because when those things are actually put oh, down yeah. into a freeze frame, it oh, yeah, looks terrible. Yeah, I mean, yeah in, in slow motion, everything looks dreadful in terms of you know challenges, etc. But but I think it was just it was a, it, indicative of a, a defender who was a bit frazzled by the the run around he'd, be, he'd endured for the for the afternoon. Yeah. And that still did actually you know it was incredible because it, it, it the finger was sort of inside his eyelid, wasn't it? Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, it, you know, the picture was really... Terrible, absolutely terrible. But in fairness to Vertonghen, now, I do think at that particular moment he was looking the other way. Yeah, so mm. I did, did feel for some sympathy. Just on those front three, I did do my, the, my kind of match report around those front three. We so, all read it, John, don't we? <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> because I think it's such an interesting issue at the moment because... I mean, there seems to be no issue between the two and working with, with, with Firmino. But on, on Saturday, it was really noticeable that a couple of times um, that, that the Klopp was really angry and agitated on the touchline because, you know, Mane didn't pass to Salah and perhaps Salah didn't give it to, 
to Mane when he was when he was clear. So we're talking about Salah, who scored 44 goals last season, was the main man against Mane, who for me, you know, is an absolutely phenomenal forward. As kind of a lack of understanding, is it a bit of an ego thing, or, or you know, or it's very kind difficult of difficult to get Mane and Salah on the same fantasy team. So maybe, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe it's that. Yeah. And it, the the thing that made it noticeable, and for me, an issue. What was was Klopp's reaction on yeah. the touchline? But what does that tell you about Klopp as a manager? You know, we've got all the public image, we've got the smiley, smiley stuff, but actually the reality behind closed doors, you know, you, you hear stuff coming out of Anf- Anfield and Melwood. He's a pretty hard taskmaster. Absolutely, and I do think if there's one manager who will deal with it well and sensibly, then then I think it'll be him, because I think in any other. There's no doubt about it. Mane was like forgotten man last season, and and he was, and and yet he is a brilliant, brilliant player who deserves so much credit and so many plaudits. And yet he was that forgotten man. And I think because of Salah, and Salah was was so good. Salah, for me, even though he's he's tricking and turning, he's yet to look anywhere near his level, sort of mid-season last season. Um, so I, I just wonder whether you know there is a little bit of uh, sort of ego between that, that, those two. But I do think, as you you know, as you rightly say, I think Klopp will be the man not to stomach it and to sort it out quickly. But honestly, Liverpool—the one thing is they can change it, it, it all over the pitch, everywhere else. But let's be realistic about this. Even though they've got really good forward cover, those three are so good they're irre- irreplaceable. You just cannot. Tinker with those, not for the big games, no chance. Mm. Talking of ego, uh, we've got a clash of potentially managerial egos. PSG, Thomas Tuchel and Klopp. Will that add an extra spice to to what's already a pretty tasty game? Yeah, I guess so. Um, It's hard to judge Tuchel so far because... PSG sweep everybody before them in France. Yeah, they've won six competitive games on the bounce, haven't they? Yeah. Yeah, well, it's... It's that that isn't competitive at the moment, mm. unfortunately. I mean, even when they rest, was it Neymar and Mbappe at the weekend, or Mbappe was suspended, they they won four 0 against Santa Gen, who are who are a team that is considered to be one of the contenders, you know, outside the the, the top top bracket in France. So it, it always boils down the PSG managers. It boils down to what they do in the Champions League. Uh, they'll get through this group, um, and then it's about whether Tuchel can, can <coughs> take them on beyond where you know previous managers have, have failed effectively at PSG because that's what that, that club and the state that backs it are craving. They, they want Champions League success. They want, to be, they want to be at that top table in Europe um, because of what they've won um, in Europe. Um, and I still think... It's, you, well, I don't think you can judge them yet. I just, we'll, have to, we'll have to come back to that in the spring and see, see how they're doing then because, you know... By the time they they'll have the league on sorted by the time we get into the quarterfinals and the semi-finals, so it's purely purely on the on the draw they get and the, and how they compete in those matches. Mm. How long then, given the fact that they are very very dominant in the French league, how long will that be and continue to be an attraction for people like Mbappe and Neymar? You know, we've always we've lived with the speculation about Neymar, you know, mm. going to Real Madrid. Um, is this maybe? The season that they've got to win it. Yeah, I, th- I do think it's interesting. I think maybe I think the longevity might be different for Mbappe just because he's, he's French. But there's no doubt about it that Neymar went there because he was fed up of having to share the limelight at, at, at Barcelona and wanted to go somewhere else where he could be the main man and win things. Well, if he's not winning, you know, the Champions League, everything else in my mind is, is irrelevant to him. So I, I guess they've. It's not just about winning it for me, but they've got to be shown as being real, genuine contenders because they've fallen well short, I think, mm. in, in recent seasons. shouldn't because they've got wonderful players, um, you know, and, and it's, listen, it's, in, it's sort of an ambitious coaching appointment. There's doubts over Tuchel, but I think if you look at it realistically, Tuchel's just about the best I think they can sort of get mm. in terms of... But don't you don't you get a sense with PSG that it's all about the brand? You know they had this yeah. big launch last last yeah. week, a week four with with Michael Jordan. Yeah, um, you know the Nike thing. It's all superficial. It's all stardust. Where's the substance? It's always that that that. I don't want to I don't want to sort of 
you know, be crit totally critical of PSG, but PSG is a new club. It's 1970s sort of club. It's Paris needed a, a big club, and they PSG was born, and and that that is what they're that is what they are. They're not they're not one of the traditional French footballing powerhouses. They're not a Marseille with its you know with a, with a massive massive following um, in the south of France. So they're not even. They're not really even Lyon with a with a with an academy system that has flourished and over the years and produced so many wonderful players. PSG nouveau riche that that they are nouveau riche and so that 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 sort of superficial as you speak that it's about a marketing tool about opening a store in Japan last week becoming the first club to sort of do that and um, it's it's sort of the way they have to go I think because they don't really have anything else they can turn back on that that sounds terrible that sounds as if I'm sort of saying that they're you know a plastic club that they're, they're not they've, they've got a hardcore support clearly um, and they're hugely hugely ambitious and a lot of the stuff they've, they've done is 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 admirable is, is great in the same way that Man City have regenerated part of of Manchester, that the, Paris Saint Germain have done similar things, but but they're not. They're sort of trying to gate crash a party almost um, later than everybody else, um, and maybe it is the only way you can do it these days. Mm. You saw Spurs at the weekend, John. They're at Inter Milan. Are they ready for that sort of challenge? I, I think if they get it right in terms of tactically and just the team selection, they can definitely win that game. But I do think it's a major challenge for Spurs at the moment because they're just not playing well. And the, the point that, that the Pochettino made after, after Watford and after that game was that, hang on a minute, I've been telling you all season that we're not playing well. Even at Man United, we weren't playing particularly well, but we won the game 3-0. And I must say that night, I thought Spurs were really, really good, but he didn't. Mm -hmm. And he was very, very critical of his team's performance, particularly in the first half. So they're not quite far in. And you have to say that, that with so many players, I think it was seven that you know the starting lineup reached the sort of the the, the you know deeper reaches the final weekend of the World Cup. Um, there's a lot of players I think that are running on empty. I mean Harry Kane is the case in point. Harry Kane, you know, spoke to him after the game on Saturday, and he was incredibly defiant and just clearly doesn't see it as an issue. But I tell you what, someone put it to him that. Um, that maybe, maybe basically he should have a rest. He's just not having it. Mm. Don't forget is, that. Forget, is, he a, forget is he a victim? Is he a victim of his good character? And is that, yeah. that sort of yeoman mentality? Yeah, yeah. I'll be there. I'll do it for you. Absolutely. And and listen, massive credit to him from a journalistic point of view that he always stops and he always sort of has a chat. And you know, he, he was kind of, you know, quite affronted. I think of people suggesting that he wasn't. He wasn't playing, did it in a nice way, of course, but, um, <laughs> but basically he wasn't playing, you know, anywhere near his best. And if you look at the, the stats, you know, it's been a while now since, you know, I think approaching 250 minutes since he scored a goal. His, his touches were down, his passes were down on Saturday. He, he really didn't contribute. But the issue for me for Spurs is that who on earth would you bring in? I mean, you know, I know they signed obviously Lorente, you know, a while back to sort of kind of do that. They've never trusted him fizzle, to do that. He's fizzling out. Absolutely, and then maybe you could do Son instead of him, or push Lucas Moore a little bit forward, more forward. But I, it's clear to me that Harry Kane is just not entertaining it, and that sooner or later, I think Pochettino has got to say, "Look, sorry, I don't care what you think, but I'm going to arrest you for for your own good," mm. because I think Harry Kane is without doubt. I think at the moment, it, when he's on song, the best centre forward in the world. But he's a million miles away from that in terms of performances right now. Mm. Been a lot of comparisons made in the last sort of week or so about the relative merits of Pochettino and Klopp in terms of squad development. Now you can argue that Pochettino is probably managing with one hand tied behind his back because of the financial mm. restraints. Who's done the better job? I don't think I don't think it's fair to compare. I'm sorry, but yeah. the, the fact is, Pochettino hasn't been able to go out and, and sell one of his players for 150 million pounds and then reinvest that money. Mm. Um, he he has also had the you know these the same old constrictions of uh, for a while it was contracts and you know what the salary cap was at the, effectively at the club and and now it's the stadium issue and you know when, until Spurs get into the new stadium and start generating the money that associated with that stadium they're not going to be able to compete quite on the same level playing field but I think they they both done brilliant jobs in their own way um, I think I mean, 
Pochettino's obviously benefited from a lot of players coming through at Spurs, um, and he's he's managed to harness those younger talents in the team and and, and build a, a, a fantastic attack attacking. And he's also had the professional side. courage to actually give him the chance. Yeah, he's given. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, Harry Winks played again on at the weekend, didn't he? I mean, it's 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 um, that's all admirable. I mean, how far it can be extended before they have to then go and invest massive money to sort of take them just that little step further on, we'll have to see. But I imagine that's, again, that's that's dependent upon the stadium. With, with Klopp, the recruitment at Liverpool has been absolutely spectacular over the last few years, um, where they've lost massive talents. I mean, Coutinho, we, go back go back two years, we would, I mean, thinking that Liverpool would lose Coutinho and end up being stronger, would have been, it would have been unthinkable, wouldn't it? We just couldn't have contemplated that. Um, but they've 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 recruited really really well. They're they're the only one of the elite clubs in this country that that really since January targeted the areas they needed to improve and then went and improved them mm. in every single aspect: goalkeeper, central midfield, dynamism, even a backup defensive midfielder as well, and just to chuck in a bit of Shakiri at the top for a bargain price. It's the recruitment's been phenomenal. Yeah, and does that you know you look at Spurs and they get probably what what you put in. In other words, you've got a second-string goalkeeper like Michel Vaughan. Mm. In an age where all the top teams have got two world-class goalkeepers in their squads, that possibly cost them the game, did it? Yeah, I think it probably did because it's not just Vaughan's individual performance, it's, it's what he resonates you know, to the rest of the back four. And I have to say I was surprised that he went with the four, actually, but Pochettino maybe got his tactics slightly wrong and then you can point to Eric Dyer and this mm. bizarre position. He's struggling, isn't he? Field. He really is, and no wonder if, he, if he's being played sort of on, on slightly on the right of a midfield three. It was a very weird role for him and he, he really didn't know sort of what to do. But I, I felt with Vaughan early on you could see that, that he was sort of struggling. And then that affected the whole of the of the defence. Trippier had a particularly bad game, I think, in defence. Well, he's been absolutely fabulous last mm. few months, isn't he? World Cup included. But it, clearly, it was affecting his confidence. And and I wonder whether they might play Aurier in, in Milan, for example. He, he had, he's often played him in, in in the Champions League, even though he doesn't really get much of a look in. But I just wondered whether it was a mistake that he should have played. I know Sanchez did did a lot of miles on international duty. But um, but I wondered whether it was he would look back upon that to give that extra security to Vorm. Vorm was a good goalkeeper mm. at, at Swansea, but he's but he's come to Spurs and he was okay as a number two at first. But that that whole thing of not playing has clearly massively affected him. He looks rusty. He looks a major issue for Spurs because you're going to put pressure on him. And sure enough, he could have done better and should have done better on both goals. You know, he was at fault on both. And so it's a major concern with Lloris out for, for a number of weeks. But I don't think the other elite English clubs have got two world-class goalkeepers. I, mean, I think that's a fairly look, exceptional... You look, you look at Liverpool. But, you know... Mignolet? Yeah, but please, come on. We've spent the last three years saying how Mignolet's not good enough. <laughs> yeah. And Carriers. though. Yeah. Well, in the same way that Michel Vaughan was, a, was an excellent goalkeeper at Swansea and then hasn't played, let's see how Stephen Mignolet drops in and, you know, when he hasn't played for 18 months... And, and ask him to, to defend against a team as vibrant as, as Liverpool attacking. I mean, this wouldn't. I don't need go to United. De Gea, wonderful, but who's the backup? Even Man City don't have a backup particularly. I mean, Claudio Bravo injured for long term. They're yeah. they're scrabbling around. I wouldn't say Willie Caballero at Chelsea's a, a good backup. As soon as a, a, I think it's I think that's really difficult for Spurs because it's, Loris is so such a big member of their of their team. Um, he obviously had his issues recently, but he is a world-class performer, World Cup winner. Take him out of the team, take out your first-choice goalkeeper or any of those elite clubs, I think they'd struggle. Mm. Tough group. You've got Barcelona and PSV. Let's look at the Spanish challenge briefly. Barcelona or Real Madrid, who would be stronger, do you think? Uh, um, well, you can just never rule out Real Madrid. I mean, it's fascinating to see how they cope without Ronaldo and whether they are still the force as they go for four in a row. Um, they're still they're still so streetwise. There's still there's all that experience there. Um, they know how to, to well, they know how to win that competition, not only just matches. They, they are they are a phenomenon. And, and Barcelona, like Barcelona, have added some some greater depth to their to their options in the in the window. Um, so maybe they'll be slightly less reliant upon the same old characters. Um, 
so, but I, I expect both of those teams to challenge right until the latter stages. To be, Atletico Madrid's another one. And, mm. I mean, they... Yeah, I would hate to play them in a knockout. I love Simeone as a Oh, man. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm with you, yeah. yeah. I, think, I think what he's done actually with Lamar is, is really interesting. I think Lamar is a really exciting yeah. talent. Mm. And he's played him in different roles. So he's played him wide and in, and in the tent. He really catches, really catches the eye sometimes when they play. And it'll be interesting to see whether they can really kind of step up to the plate. And they've really significantly strengthened. And they've got that, you know, I, I, I would argue that, that basically that, you know, the defence has been such a stronghold for them. Mm. And there's been some criticism of, of that defence in, in their sort of early performances. But if they can come back, you know, go down in particular, I guess, you know, and, and sort of kind of find their best form for the business end of the competition, then they could be really strengthening. Because I think it's really interesting with the Real Madrid and Barcelona. It feels like it's a little bit of a transitional mm. thing that basically Real Madrid are putting all, so much faith in Gareth Bale and understandably so, what a, what a talent. But and he's, he's responded so far. Absolutely, it absolutely has. But I do feel that I think it will be next, next summer they'll really go for it again in the window to sort of build up that squad again of superstars. And it's a question for me of whether the likes of, you know, Dembele might catch light for Barcelona, but there's still a few questions mm. as they move forward as, as a team mm. as to whether they need significantly strengthening or indeed they're the real deal yet. But I, I, fun enough, you know, like you were hinting at, I think Atletico yeah. might be a big, big, you know, you sort want to of, avoid them, wouldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. In the in the knockout, you really wouldn't want to be playing them, I don't think, because they're you know brilliantly coached, well drilled, defensively as good as anything in Europe. I think. I keep hearing from Barcelona that they think they've got a Pogba-sized hole in their midfield. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can understand. You, you you'd have to say that, wouldn't you? I mean, they still. I look at them and they're not. You, you, you they're they're lacking an identity. I think in in midfield and in perhaps, you know, even almost slightly in attack, and the, the, you just wonder whether it's all going to gel and all fit. But I actually, you know, I can I can well believe that. And the, <laughs> I think he's heading for one conclusion, don't you? Uh, I think so. Yeah, yeah. One more on on Manchester United. There they start with a relatively easy game uh, at Young Boys in Switzerland on Wednesday. Um, they won at Watford, which was. Obviously, to be expected given you know, the whole circumstances, perhaps. But, you know, from I look at it and I thought they played for about 20 minutes in the way that Man United should play and could play and can play. Where are they in the whole sort of transitional stage of this season? I suspect we're going to be returning to this thing quite a lot. Um, they, they, you know, if, you, if you, in history you'd expect United to have gone to Burnley and gone to Watford and, get, and got the wins. Uh, regardless of what happened in that previous game against Spurs, actually, to have done that showed quite a lot of character. And, and going to Watford on Saturday was not an easy trip. Watford flying, um, a lot of belief around that place, um, Vicarage Road. It was an awkward, awkward occasion for for United. And you know they, they did enough to win it. Um, and I can I can sort of see why. Oh, certainly see why Mourinho suddenly feels lifted. I don't think I don't think United's ills have been you know washed away by the last two results. I, th I still think it, it feels the whole thing feels slightly awkward, um, slightly clunky. Um, I don't think they're. I mean, he, he's, he. I don't think they played. They played better against Spurs in, in an attacking sense, a fresh attacking approach than they probably did in either the Burnley or the Watford games, but, you know, the two away games, difficult places to go. So let's let's see how they do in the next home match, um, whether they can ally the sort of more swashbuckling style that he we saw glimpses of against Spurs with with a victory um, to carry them forward. But it's a process with them. I don't, I don't think they're I don't think they're close to winning the title. I really don't think they'll they'll feature in terms of of um, of being a Premier League winners. But they're still, they've still got all the quality at that club and within that structure and a manager who knows how to get results easily to finish in the top four. Mm. There's a functionality about them, I suppose. And I suppose mm. it's summed up the difference between them and Man City in three height sizes of their midfield three. Manchester United's three at the weekend, 6'4", 6'4", 6'3". Manchester City's 5'8", 5'8", 5'10". There's your difference in styles. 
Yeah, absolutely. I was just trying to work out who's 5'10 for City, Fernandinho, I take it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he, he was such a driving force, wasn't he? And he's he's supposed to be the kind of the defensive anchor man there. But there's no, there's nothing of that because when he drives forward as he did, I think it was on the first goal, wasn't it? I mean, he was, you know, he, he changes the dynamic mm. for City. And you do think at the moment, I mean, individually, all of those players were very important, I thought, for, for United. And... You know, I guess if Pogba can sort of reclaim his, his best form, then they've got, you know, one of the finest midfield talents in, in, in Europe. And Matic obviously got sent off right at the end. Fellaini did a brilliant job for United. I mean, you know, that that's beyond... He should get more credit, really, shouldn't he? He really should. And I think he, you know, he's... he's and I've often called him this in sort of, you know, he's Mourinho's go-to man, isn't he? Because basically when the going gets tough, he puts him in to start... When basically he needs to shut a game down, he puts him in to sort of close it down and sort of win headers, sort of in, in you know, and, and win physical battles. And he's really, really important. He's not easy on the eye always, but I do think that he, you know, he gets the job done. I, you know, I mean, I was watching, you know, BT's coverage on on Saturday, and Martin Keown made him man of the match. You certainly couldn't argue with that. I would have given it to Lukaku. Mm. Um, and then obviously De Gea pops up with that incredible save, which I think left, left Ben Foster calling him. I mean, very amusing comment, wasn't it? The basically the messy of goalkeepers. Yeah. But I have to say, I actually think that David De Gea for quite some time, you know, for the last, what, six months or so, he's been well below his best. Yeah. It, well, it especially for Spain. Especially yes, for Spain. absolutely. And you know, he made, well, actually, for, for United on occasion, he's, he's, he's dropped rickets. Well, you know, completely out of character. And, and you know, that save at the, at the death was a good one. But it, it's, it's you know, it's meat and drink, really, by a day. You're standard. a hard taskmaster. Well, I just feel, I feel he's the best goalkeeper in the world. Yeah. But at the moment, you know, he hasn't, for the last six months, he hasn't been playing exactly like that. And, I, you know, it's an intriguing one because you you've had sort of the contract sort of angle with him going on in the background you've had obviously had a little bit disquiet with Mourinho and everything going on De Gea feels like a sort of almost a snapshot of what you know of the problems at United and I just feel if they can get De Gea sort of you know long term back to his best then everything will come together for United because I think he's so important but he is that kind of you know, he's almost representative of some of the problems going on at Old Trafford. But, but kind of get him signed up for the long term, get him back to his best. And for me, there's no doubt about it, United will be back to their best. But I think it will be something of a, you know, it'll be a battle, won't it, for, for the top four rather than win the title. And, but I do, I do think that, that, that the Mourinho, I think, will, you know, looks as if he's come through this particular crisis. But you know with Mourinho, there's always a crisis waiting to happen. There's always a press conference, you know, ready to sound off in. I mean, just look at back last Friday, it's so combustible. Yeah. One of those things will go horribly wrong sooner or later. But but United seem to have weathered the storm for now. And he's got sort of Pep Guardiola waving at him from <laughs> across the city. Yeah. You know, City have got um, uh, Lyon um, this week. Um, what sort of shape do you think they're in? I think they're, they're warming up still. But it must be wonderful to be warming up playing like this. <laughs> um, they're absolutely exceptional. Um, and, uh, I mean, Leon will, Leon will provide a, a test of sorts, but City will have way too much for them. Um, it's, it's not even... I mean, it, it'll be a breeze. It'll be a breeze. Um, I, I've just, I mean, City are now sort of starting to give some of their fringe players, like Lee Roisane, an opportunity. <laughs> I mean, good grief. It's... it's it's something else. When you see people like Bernardo Silva just stepping in seamlessly to mm. Kevin De Bruyne's shoes, and I mean, Mondi didn't play at the weekend as well. He's been fantastic so far this season. Mm. He'll presumably be saved to play his compatriots in midweek. Um, Sergio Aguero has gone off the boil, but you know they still scored three. I mean, it's it's yeah, they're phenomenal. But it must be, and it's we joke about about uh, the relationship between Mourinho and. Pep in Manchester, but that is actually part of it. That is one of the reasons that United feel as if they're in crisis because they've got the noisy neighbours down the road doing so well. Mm. Pep talked about giving his guilt about not giving Phil Foden a chance, mm. uh, 
promised he would do so. Will he fulfil that promise, do you think? I can't see it, personally. No, I don't know how he can make that promise. I mean, for, for all the respect and admiration we have for, for Pep Guardiola, he's, he's also, got, also got to be realistic about this. He's got to do what he thinks is best for, for Man City. And, you know, when he talks about giving him his opportunity, is that, is that on the bench against, you know, against Lyon? Is that, is that starting in the Carabao Cup next week? It's, you know, he's going to give him bits here and there, but he, we can't expect him just to, for the sake of, I don't know, the England national team to kind of foist him in. I think some managers would, and some managers would, would have given him more game time than now. I mean, look, Pochettino is a case in point, isn't it? Mm. The way he promotes young English talent is great. And there, there might have been games where he could maybe put them in and, and basically it might have been Fulham without wishing to patronise Fulham, but maybe he could have, could have done that role, you know, and maybe there might be games when, to me, he seems a very similar player to Bernardo Silva in many ways, and maybe he could sort of do, do a light-for-light light switch, but ultimately, Guardiola knows that he's under so much pressure to, to win the trophies that he probably has a different mindset to other managers that do promote young international talent. It's nice to hear him talking about kind of that, that guilt in a way. Mm. It's reassuring to know that he's absolutely in his mind. But the, the Guardiola just has to do what, you know, he's, 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 he's right for, for Man City. It's just, you know, it's, it's where we are. It's the state of the nation thing for, for young English players. Isn't yeah, it? and that's the reality, isn't it, Dom? If you look at it, let's yeah, chuck a couple of names in. Ruben Loftus-Cheek at Chelsea... Uh, Don Solanke, who you've already mentioned at Liverpool, you know, again, he might get the odd League Cup game, probably. Um, that's the reality of modern football, isn't it? That these young lads probably will have to go abroad. Yeah, or elsewhere in the, in the Premier League and, and, and fly the nest. I mean, Loftus-Cheek, Chelsea bring in Kovacic and they bring in Kovacic on a, on a loan with no option to buy. Kovacic is, is a better player at the, at the moment than Ruben Loftus-Cheek. There's no doubting that he makes Chelsea's midfield strong I mean that that trio with with Kante and Jorginho is a is a an imposing midfield trio but there's no long-term thinking in bringing Kovacic to Stamford Bridge it's purely a, a manager and a club wanting immediate success which you know I, I imagine the vast majority of their supporters would agree with that we want to win trophies this season bring Kovacic in, who's going to make an initial impact. But Ruben Loftus-Cheek and Ross Barkley, who would normally, and you know, Cesc Fabregas ahead of them probably still, waiting to come back in, um, they would be occupying that berth that Kovacic would, would, would normally use. And I feel for Loftus-Cheek because he sort of, he, 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 fought, he, he knows his contractual situation, he doesn't want to sign another long-term deal necessarily there because if he's not going to play many games, so he can't necessarily go out on loan. He might go out in January if he's forced, you know, because he won't have played any games at all. But he had this sort of window, he had this opportunity after the England games where he would play Europa League, he would play at Liverpool in the Carabao Cup. Now he's picked up an injury playing for England and he'll probably miss the next couple of weeks and not be involved. Mm. And, you know, that Europa League tie in PAOK Salonica this week, that was his opportunity to show that he should be playing for Chelsea. You know, the last English... The only English player to have scored a goal for Chelsea in any competition this season, I found it on Bill Edgar's column today, Martin Kelly of Crystal Palace scored an own goal for Chelsea <laughs> uh, for, uh, when Palace went to Chelsea in the last season. No English player has scored for Chelsea this calendar year in any competition. And people like Ruben Loftus-Cheek just waiting on the fringes, desperate to make mm. some kind of mark, and that sums it up. Yeah. Eden Hazard scored most of the rest of them. <laughs> he's unplayable at the moment, isn't he? Yeah, he's great, isn't he? And, you know, I think Sari's obviously trying to trying to play it quite cutely, isn't he? Basically by sort of, you know, building him up and bigging him up after after every single game. I mean, he's the absolute, uh, you, you know, centrepiece, I think, for, for Sarri and Sarri's future and Sarri's Chelsea, really. It's great to see him really, I, I don't know, just kind of running at the goal again, kind of, you know, I think, and Conte last season, he sort of played him as this sort of false nine, didn't really, didn't really work, I don't think, at times. And, you know, I think Giroud's a very, very sort of self, unselfish um, foil for him. Bit of a loving going on there. Brilliant, the moment, yeah, yeah. It was really interesting to, to you know, I don't know whether, you know, but he basically said he's the best mm. best player in, in the world, sort of best centre-forward in, in that sort of link-up, didn't he, mm. um, after the game on Saturday and, um, and, and the way that it sort of, you know, 
combined, I think, tells its own story. But Hazard, to get the best out of Hazard, makes Chelsea a really exciting um, sort of combination. You do wonder where it's all sort of leading because obviously Hazard's into the final two years of, it, of his contract. But whether or not he sort of signs at Chelsea or Chelsea end up getting the best out of Hazard because Hazard's almost putting himself in the shop window through, the, through this whole process. I think the one thing is that is guaranteed is that basically Hazard is showing no signs of a World Cup hangover. They've managed it actually fitness-wise quite well. It looks, you know, they didn't start him from the off, did they? Yeah, um, and I think that's, I think yeah. it's been really important that, and I think uh, probably is a lesson to other clubs that are overplaying English players at the moment who went right to the business end of the World Cup. And I think Hazard is really thriving. Yeah, Sarri's been pretty impressive, hasn't he? Yeah, quite an inclusive guy, it seems to me, and. He's talked about the possibility of John Terry as a coach mm. at that club. Can you envisage that? Um, not in the <clears throat> not, not in the immediate future. Um, he was asked about that on Friday, and he gave a very honest answer to the question. You know, he's not going to turn his back on an icon at that club, um, particularly one who who sees his role ultimately as being in the dugout at, at Stamford Bridge. Um, so I can see Terry. Coming, coming back to Chelsea in some capacity down the line. But bear in mind that, A, John Terry is desperate to play for another year um, to end his playing career, so he's not going to come back, he's not going to join Chelsea as a player, so he'll, he'll go somewhere else, presumably, and sign a short-term contract elsewhere. And B, there's, a, there's also a structure in place at Chelsea in, uh, in terms of the coaching hierarchy. You know, they have a lot of former players behind the scenes at mm. their club who are in, in the academy, in the development squads, and then on the fringes of the first team, I think it would look a bit weird, even though we're talking about John Terry, you know, 717 appearances, God knows how many trophies, even if he was suddenly parachuted in to sit on the bench immediately, it would it would look a bit like almost tokenism, really. Let's just, let's have him because he is that he is John Terry. I think John Terry would want to do things the right way and, and sort of graduate up through the system. Yeah. Arsenal, the other Europa League candidates, um, own up. Who's heard of Vorskla Poltava? No, not me. <laughs> Ukraine, you know, Ukraine yeah. side. Well, yeah, I have obviously read up since the draws. Mr made. Google's come to you. Well, absolutely. Yeah. And, well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I, I guess that the, the, the point is about the whole kind of third competition that UEFA are talking about mm. is, is very pertinent to this sort of tie because the suggestion is that it basically would mean reducing the uh, Europa League down to 32 teams and having a sort of a bit of a Champions League light perhaps for the, for the lesser teams so that they can sort of share in the, in the, in the riches but also enjoy European success. Um, but I, I think it also denies that some of these teams, are, you know, a great opportunity from what they see of playing one of, you know, the leading lights in in Europe, sadly, they couldn't make it, so they ended up with Arsenal. But it was, um, <laughs> uh, you, you know, it, it, it'll be interesting to see. I went to Unai Emery's press conference last Thursday and um, desperation at trying to get a line out of a guy that really struggles with his English and, and let's be honest, he's rather quite dull, purposely so, I have to say, in press conferences, he doesn't like giving much away. I tried to sort of butter up his ego by saying, you know, you're the, you're the king of the Europa League, kind of, you know, because he has, of course, mm -hmm. won it three times. You know what? What's the secret? And it didn't didn't get the question at all. Didn't really understand it, to be honest. And then basically, sort of said, "Look, I, I always think that you've got to approach every single game. I might make some changes, but every single game, I want to go into it full strength. Whether or not he can do that, I still think he'll make some changes. It'll be interesting to see whether you know Bernd Leno plays in goal. Mm. You know, Arsenal fans have been clamouring for him a little bit, and I, I think this." massively unfair I think Petr Cech as a goalkeeper has has been has enjoyed actually one of his best starts to a season since he's been at the club his kicking has come under the, under scrutiny but it's going to take time and blimey I saw one one tweet after he put the ball out of touch on 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 Saturday in in a sort of mistake saying oh you know it's time for Lino god blimey give him a break mm. you know Mm. I mean, that's, that's really a sad indictment of the modern fan when he puts one ball into touch. He didn't give the ball, didn't give a goal away, didn't give it away to an opponent, put it into touch. I mean, honestly, it's, it's pathetic, really, because mm. I think if you look at it from a you know, point of view that, that Czech as a goalkeeper, he's, he's been outstanding. So 
I don't know. I think Arsenal sometimes did sort of the expectations run away with them when actually three straight wins has put them in a really good place. They're making solid progress. It's going to be hard because I just don't think they've got a squad to compete this season. I really don't think so. Mm. So if Emery can get them anywhere near the top six and indeed inside the top six, they'll have had a really good season. Yeah, you know, I concur with you about Czech. Great man and a, and a fantastic mm. professional. You know, as you've, you've seen him over the years, Dom. Um, the question we asked of Arsenal every week, it seems, is why doesn't Torreira start? I, I, I genuinely don't know. I mean, every time I've seen him, I've been impressed with him. And he, a lot was made at the weekend about how he, he sort of thrust them forward. He, all his passes were forward. I can only imagine that, that um, Emery is maybe not certain that he's, he's ready to, to play 90 minutes. Um, possibly, I, I, I think possibly he might have been the man to pick up Kieran Clark at the goal. Maybe there's an occasional lapse of concentration like that that Emery's conscious of. I don't know. Um, but he looks like exactly the player they need. Maybe the combination with Granit Xhaka doesn't work. Maybe that's maybe that's not. Maybe that doesn't gel quite so easily. But but um, we, you know he, he's got a bit of steel to him. He's progressive. Um, he's clearly eventually he will be in that team. As I would imagine he'd be the type of person they build a side around. Really, in oh, the they've middle. got to. They've got to. Yeah. He's, he's Arsenal's sort of Kante. He might not have the sort of speed of Kante. But he's he's got power. He's yeah. got he's, he has got the runs, and he, he he's that midfield general. I mean, Gwen the runs, and maybe Gwendoza. that's why he's not playing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, Arsenal for a long time have lacked a pace and energy in midfield, mm. and he's the, he's the man to do it. Gwen Doozy made a really good start to the season, yeah. but being totally unrealistic, if you think that you can suddenly parachute a player in who's still learning the game, still developing, and expect him to start every week, and mm. surely Torreira will. We'll get his opportunity yes. to see. <laughs> right, time is running away with us, but I want to try and fit in a few questions from the listeners and the viewers. Um, now, as everyone knows, we're biased against every team, known <laughs> to man. Uh, there's a couple of sort of incomings from Man United supporters, um, summed up by Keelan McCafferty. Why isn't there the same scrutiny on Poch as there was on Mourinho after back-to-back -back league defeats? Is there a media agenda to always keep United down? It's starting to seem that way. Yes, completely. We, I basically <laughs> pick up the phone every morning and say, how can we knock down United today? What interests me about that is, and I did sort of see that, that, that question on the list before we start recording, is that basically you, you are com you, not everything in football is, is comparable like for like. And so therefore, does that Man United fan think that Spurs are as big a club as Man United? No, of course they don't. They will always think Man United is bigger. And, and therefore, that answers the question, really, that there's always going to be more spotlight on Manchester United. There's always going to be more expectation on Mourinho than, than Pochettino, whether they like it or not, because that's the size of the club. And I, I think therein lies the answer. You know, sometimes when you, you, you do have two defeats in a row, it's going to feel like a crisis at Man United much more than it will do at, at Tottenham. They might not like it, but... I think at the start of every season, I'm thinking, can Man United win the league? Man United have to think of winning the league each and every season. That's the pressure on Man United and Mourinho, which is a different pressure to Tottenham. Whereas I think of Tottenham and Pochettino, can they finish in the top four? And that's your answer, I think. Good answer. Um, Stefan Adams, a Chelsea one for you, Dom. Uh, do you think Eden Hazard can replicate what Mo Salah did last year in terms of the amount of goals scored? Well, that's what we've been waiting for Hazard to do for a while now. He's, for the last maybe four or five years, we've spoken about elevating him to the same status as Ronaldo and Messi. And the thing that he hasn't done that they, they do is score 40 goals consistently in a season. Um, he has definitely got the capabilities of doing it. He's, he's never, I think he's just, this is his fourth game in a row he's scored, the first time he's ever done that in his career. Um, his numbers are just through the roof of late, just, even with Belgium in the summer. Um, he has the potential to to do a sort of Salah-like season, definitely. The, the interesting thing will be um, whether Sari now sticks to that combination with Jury, which worked so well at the weekend, albeit against Cardiff, um, or whether he ultimately goes a similar way to what he did at Napoli in his last year, 
um, and plays actually plays Hazard through the middle as a nine um, with William and Pedro presumably alongside him because Hazard has always hated that role he's never felt comfortable doing it before but I wonder if the style of play that Sari wants to implement at Chelsea might actually make it more appealing um, and, and bring out the best in him it's still effectively a free role he's not asked to play with his back to goal or anything um, and that might ultimately be I, I can see a scenario whereby come the turn of the year Hazard is playing through the middle at Chelsea um, and that might actually offer him even more opportunities to score and add to his tally mm. Mirror image question is really, in, in a way, from uh, Jordan Ob. Are Liverpool's front three going to hit the form they did last year or have they become a more efficient team overall by scoring fewer but also conceding fewer? Yeah, they will certainly concede fewer, don't they? And defensively, they, they, they look better. But I do think that if we're talking about efficiency with that front three, then, then they've kind of got to work and have that understanding better amongst themselves. It might be it might be a knock-on effect almost the front three of not quite clicking quite yet as they did last year of a, of a new midfield. You know, Kaito has come in and looks phenomenal player, doesn't he? Mm. But it's, sometimes it's dynamics within a team which can slightly change, you know, who's passing to who and who's working with who. But I, I would be surprised if you don't get a sort of that, that, that front three sharing the goals out a little bit more. But I do think as Liverpool progress, I think that they are going to have to be better defensively and I think they're already showing signs of that. And I think they will perhaps be a better all-rounded rounded team at the moment. It's interesting, I saw Salah quite a lot at the start of last season and the criticism was that he was missing chances. Mm. <laughs> he, really, he really was. He just didn't you know, start off as, as being as, as kind of as efficient as he, you know, and as spectacular as he'd finished the season. And so I just think it'll probably take him a while to get going but I, I do think that there might be a slight issue just, you know, amongst those three to kind of click and get each other going again. OK, just final question. Um, will an English team win the Champions League? If so, who? Man City, I think, will win it. I just think, I, I think they've, they're so good to watch and they've got so much potential in them. I think it might be at the expense of the Premier League because I do fancy Liverpool, I think, to, to win the Premier League this season. I do think that Man City, for me, when they're on song, are the best team in Europe right now. Don? Yeah, I agree with that. I think City of the English competitors are the most likely to win it. Um, I think they'll get some really tough challenges from Spain, but they have the capacity to do it, certainly. Well, I agree. There are 1.3 billion reasons why Man City should win the Champions League. This season, they will. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. Podcast.